So I teach at Kennesaw State, and I teach this outcast class. One of the first things that I ask them when they come to class is, what does Southern hip hop mean? What does the Dirty South mean? And I get these blank looks like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So I don't think it's because they don't know Southern hip hop. I just think it's because the certain terms that were used or used to associate with Southern hip hop have shifted a little bit that they, I threw them off track. I think I, I had them throw it off. <laughs> It's like day one, pop quiz, let's go. What does Dirty South mean? Go. Hey there, I'm writer, researcher, and professor, Dr. Regina M. Bradley. I am music journalist, Christina Lee. From WABE and PRX, this is Bottom of the Map. Southern hip hop, explored, explained, exalted. kicking off season two thinking about how the South brands itself. We're going to talk about the origins of the phrase Dirty South, Mm -hmm. tracing it to Cool Breeze and Goody Mob, comparing how Dirty South almost got away from Cool Breeze to how Hot Girl Summer almost got away from Megan Thee Stallion. And we're going to even give a call to our new friends, the founders of Grits and Biscuits, a traveling party with the tagline, A Dirty South Set. But first, Regina, Yes. You're returning to the porch to shake your fist at these kids and talk about how the digital South came to be. I feel like we're entering a generation now that doesn't grasp Dirty South. You know, I'm talking about like social media, like folks call it like the digital South, the rise of the digital South, spearheaded by none other than our favorite producer of Nine Lives, Mr. Carly Park, formerly known as DJ Smurf, when he signed Soldier Boy in like 2008. Soldier Boy, I'm why me crack it, why me roll? Why me crack that soldier boy, that Superman that oh. now why me you crack that soldier now why me you crack that soldier now why me you that introduced this possibility of a digital a digital South. And I, I'm wondering if the digital South, because it's a different medium, it's a different way to consume culture, it's a different way to entertain music, if that has any direct influence on the foundations of Southern hip hop and the foundations through how we understand Southern hip hop getting left behind in, in a kind of way because sure. we're in the era of a digital South. I can totally understand why your students would give you a blank look when you ask them, whether they knew what Dirty South was. I feel like those who listen to Southern hip hop already have a very tacit understanding of what Dirty South came to epitomize and what we now come to know as trap music, Mm -hmm. right? But I do think that your students would still understand Dirty South as a sort of rallying cry and as part of this larger musical legacy. Because I feel like that's how I typically hear of the Dirty South being addressed today. Mm-hmm. Whether that's uh, J. Cole on the Offset record. Baptized at first, Baptist shirts, the pastor name was Reverend Johnson. Okay. Chastised his shirt, he matched shoes, but had the front and never bothered him. Okay. Heard his private, he swallowed it. Okay. Dirt is all that he spotted it. And the dirty south with bodies piling up so high they blocked the birds and rerouted them. Okay. Plenty murders had observers, but you never heard of or the group Rockhampton evoking like the Dirty South. More often when they're talking about the Dirty South, they're saying, listen, we're part of this 20 year legacy as well. We're part of this 20 year history as well. We're part of the same history as a Dirty South. And they use that as a point of pride. I've been riding around with my people, but Dirty South. I always put it down for my people, but Dirty South. She never caught them Southern feel, but Dirty South. But she gon' catch them Southern feel. Cause I get it while it's hot, 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 I get it while it's hot,
So, where did the term Dirty South come from? Well, in 1995, Goody Mob released their first album, Soul Food, and it features the track Dirty South. But Dirty South was actually written by and heavily features Cool Breeze, who is part of the Dungeon family, but was a solo act in his own right. But, but, most people know Cool Breeze from his single, Watch for the Hook, which is a track off of his debut album, East Point's Greatest Hit. I know a whole lot of brothers in the rap game, but most of them are in it for the shiny things. They want to snatch all ten, maybe stack about four. They want to live in the house, but don't want no grass to grow. What you need to do is learn the tricks of the trade. Go to work, put it down, and then get paid. If only two of us don't get caught for making a sale. I'm one, and if you the other bro, I can't tell. Ain't nobody that can come in and get in the zone. Just trying to kill four birds with about 15 stones. The C stands for Cool Breeze, who's known as the champ. Freddy Calhoun, the coolest cutter at camp. Hey, my ones and my twos got your whole town shook. You better listen to your corner and watch for the hook. The C stands for Cool Breeze, who's known as the champ. Freddy Calhoun, the coolest cutter at camp. Hey, my ones and my twos got your whole town shook. You better listen to your corner and watch for the hook. You better listen to your corner and watch for the hook. You better listen to your corner and watch for the hook. The C stands for Cool Breeze, who's known as the champ. Freddy Calhoun, the coolest cutter at camp. Hey, my ones and my twos got your whole town shook. You better listen to your corner. So, Chris, break this down for me. You interviewed this man about Dirty South everything. So what were y'all talking about? So I did interview Cool Breeze, Regina, uh, for Red Bull Music Academy. The piece is called Cool Breeze, a Dirty South Champion. Mm -hmm. And I felt that that was really important to understand because it comes down to the fact that when you look up the song Dirty South on these streaming services today, you will see that it is by Goody Mob. Mm -hmm. You'll see that it is featured Big Boy. But it's not until you look in the credits on Spotify that you'll see a Frederick Calhoun credited. I don't know what happened behind the scenes as far as like the paperwork and the split sheets and all that, but for whatever reason, Cool Breeze kind of got left off as a featured performer on Dirty South. Oh. So there is the fact that you just have to set that record straight. Dirty South started off as Cool Breeze's song, and the moment that you recognize that, you can't listen to the song the same way because like his perspective becomes like abundantly clear. Mm. Which is really interesting because before I actually interviewed him, you would see time and time again that Dirty South was attributed to Goody Mob. Even like his verses would be attributed like to like Timo, like in Vi mm -hmm. magazine, which I thought was such an interesting mistake to make. What's also interesting about how Dirty South became this larger than life phrase was just because of the sheer timing of it all. Mm. Goody Mob's album was going to come out first. Goody Mob was going to arrive with Dirty South before Cool Breeze came out with East Point's greatest hit. Right. But behind the scenes, you know, Cool Breeze already had this song ready to go. And depending on who you ask, it's like, okay, Rico Wade of Organized Noise, of course, the production trio, he's trying to figure out like, okay, how are we gonna put Dungeon Family on the map? Let's get these kitty groups together. That's what Cool Freeze loves to call them, mm -hmm. like these kitty groups. So he's okay. basically, I'm a grown ass man. That was, I'm a oh, grown ass absolutely, man. Okay. absolutely. Mm -hmm. According to Cool Breeze, he says, you know what? I have this song on deck. I know that you're trying to put these kitty groups like on, so let's go ahead, work collectively together and put out what I know is gonna be a banger. If you ask Rico Wade what the story was, it was that, hey, actually, Gip of Goody Mob put me on to the fact that Cool Breeze just had this song kind of laying around and was like, listen, we got to put this song out. I know that you have a plan to put Outkast and Goody Mob out first before Cool Breeze, but we got to get this song out. And so that's how the song lands on 
Soul Food, which is the Goody Mob album. Goody Mob had a skit called Red Dogs. So the Red Dogs was a militarized police unit in the city of Atlanta that started in the 1980s and was disbanded in 2011. Red Dog stands for Run Every Drug Dealer Out of Georgia. There's a lot of anxiety about what they could do, but the Red Dogs were important for us, especially on a skit like Red Dogs from Goody Mob. Like, this is actually happening, and this is what it sounds like. Hey, man, this straight shooter, man. Hey, how many times, man? Hit me three times, man. Make sure they chomp with you. All right, buddy. So here's what's ironic about how Dirty South gets misattributed to Goody Mob as a primary artist. Mm. We hear that Gip has a verse on the song. We hear that Big Boy has a verse on the song. But that one to the two to three to four, that very first voice that we actually hear on the song Dirty South, that is actually Cool Breeze. One to the two, the three, the four. Them dirty red dogs done hit the dough and they got everybody on their hands and knees. And they ain't gonna leave until they find them kids. Now if Dirty Bill Clinton fronted me some weight, told me keep two, bring him back eight. And I only brought him five and stuck his ass for three. Do you think that clamp of the sickest goons on me? See Martell home, that's my claim to fame. That's where I learned my slickest tricks in the dope, the gang. Like my favorite, I call it lemon head delight. When you lick off all the yellow and you sell the white. Mr. Freddie Calhoun is coming up in East Point during the time when the Red Dogs were still running rampant. Mm-hmm. And he happened to be dealing drugs at the time. As he's coming of age, he discovers hip hop. And then so by the time Rico Wade comes across this man, he's listening to like his music and he's like, this guy is coming from a street perspective that I have yet to hear coming out of the South. Rico Wade thought Cool Breeze could be like the next Ice Cube, but the fact of the matter is is that as he's putting together like the Dungeon Family, cobbling together Outkast and Goody Mob and all this other stuff, Cool Breeze was talking that lingo, that lingo that lets you know essentially that he was of the streets. And so mm. it is of this particular time that he's also coming up with Dirty South. See, never did I think when I got grown that some peewee sacks have been untook this town. See, life's a bitch, then you figure out why you really got dropped in the dirty side. See, in the third grade, this is what you told. You was bold, you was sold. Now they saying juice left some heads crack. I bet you Jed Clampy wanted money back. See, East Point Atlanta through this roadblock. Talking about all this blow traffic got to stop. So the big time players off John Freeman way had to find themselves another back street to take. Cause back in the day, we was out of control. We didn't understand all no, nigga that money ain't Joe. That's when me and Big Slate took a oath and swear. Never would we talk, never would we tell. So when they pulled up, pump and rock the bell. We took what we want and left them quiet as hell. What you niggas know about the dirty side? When we think about the history of like Atlanta and you know this idea of the South, folks still grapple with understanding that there are urban spaces below the Mason-Dixon line. And at the time, you know, Atlanta is still trying to get on its feet in terms of being accepted as not only uh, an urban city, but also as a space where hip hop can manifest. You know what I'm saying? So not only was it a call for that, but it also speaks to the fact of something that we've talked about on on the podcast since day one is that it remembers and recognizes that the civil rights movement didn't fix everything. There are mm-hmm. still things in the South that are undone, unclean, unkept. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? 
And Southern hip hop never shies away from acknowledging what that means. And as we kind of progress, you know, especially with somebody like a Goody Mob, you know what I'm saying? Like if you think about this, like the actual whole Soul Food album, there was an intentional dirtiness to it in terms of not trying to sanitize what their Atlanta looked like sure. in conversation with the type of Atlanta that, you know, the city of Atlanta officials were trying to sell, were trying to bid, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So... Cool Breeze always comes first. It's kind of like the the word or the use of trap. It kind of took on its own. Mm-hmm. It's taking on its own voice. It's taking on its own entity in ways that you know we, we probably weren't thinking about when we first heard these these you know these songs. No, absolutely not. What's most interesting about revisiting Cool Breeze's uh, major label album? East Point's greatest hit for 1999. It's like he's talking about not only the trap, but the triple beam. Like he's really talking that lingo. And like you could have released that shit in 2020. It would still sound like he was talking like, you know, in the same current language as everybody else. And that's what's most striking about it. You know, this is way before we even came to recognize trap as a genre. Mm-hmm. I met this out of town player who wanted to set up a trap. He said he paid me and my boys if we would watch his back. I told my other partner exactly what we kept the sacks. Then early in the morning told him we got jack. I learned to get what was mine before I hit the scene. Learned to double up my money before I turned 18. At 10 in the morning, if you pay me a visit, you catch me cooking up them chickens just like JR Crickets. My partner from New York, he gave me a beat. He need nine on the 13th at 20 apiece. I caught 15 G's for my personal cut. And he gave me five more and told me that's for waking me up. Black gangster, black it was also a way for him as a Southerner to recognize his Southerness and make his Southerness recognizable or visible to other Southerners. Like, mm. one of the things that I really wish that non-Southerners would understand is that when two or three Southerners are gathered together, <laughs> like, we're here for, you know, we're here for each other. It's not necessarily that we're trying to put on a show for everybody else. Like, there was no, like, hey, let me coin this term Dirty South and see what everybody else says. He planted it, it rooted, and it took shape in red clay. If Cool Breeze's South was illegal and illegible, and it made it legible, is it necessary for the South to still brand itself as dirty? When we return, we'll listen to a few examples of how Dirty South has been used in Southern hip hop across the board and how it's continuing to be used again and again, even today. Yo, you already know what it is. Big Rube, ATL, SWAT Zone 4, Southwest Atlanta, too strong, too shady. You listening to the bottom of the map just like I do, just like I be. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing under us but Florida. We out. All right, welcome back. Hey now. So now that we've fully established how the Dirty South originated as a Dungeon Family cut by the one and only Mr. Cool Breeze, We want to talk about how Dirty South came to epitomize more than just that. Mm. Artists left and right wanted to claim Dirty South as their own, and it became even bigger and bolder than Cool Breeze even could have imagined. Yeah, and I mean, like, I guess, you know, how that happens. Because, you know, we've said on previous episodes, I think this is our mantra, is that the South is not a monolith. <laughs> it's not one, there's not There's not just one sound. So if there's, sure. if there's not just one universal sound for Southern hip-hop, then that means that there's more than one definition for Dirty South. Dirty South, for me, coming out of Georgia, is different than, you know, you coming from Maryland and, you know, somebody in Louisiana, Alabama. And I'm thinking about Alabama in particular with the group Dirty. Well, hey. Hit the flow, my God. Stay please, I love so you know I keep off the most. We had to go out when we drop rolling the 
so slept on i mean like it was a regional hit like i heard that shit every day going to school like when mm-hmm. the dirty boys drop better hit the flow right yeah um and it was speaking to those drug cultural experiences and stuff like that but i mean like it it took on a mind of its own depending on who grappled with it right mm-hmm. and i'm thinking of a couple of things i'm thinking about you know southerners who are urban who are urban Southerners, like, you know, Major Key or Super Producer Floyd, you know what I'm saying? Their idea of dirty might be different than my rural small town ass, where you got folks like Phil Mob. Then, you know, Chameleon Air with Dirty out of there course. in Houston. They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to kiss me riding dirty. 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 My music's so loud. I'm swinging. I would only add UGK to that, but. Definitely. Other than that, what you said was perfect. So next, we're going to be talking to some new friends of ours who are bringing the Dirty South vibe to a city near you. So we gave the founders of Grits and Biscuits a call from the studio to talk about how they keep the Dirty South vibe alive. Everybody has a distinct role in Grits and Biscuits. So as far as Easy, Mo, Breezy, can you just break down the roles between the Easy, the Mo, and the Breezy? So E is for Erica. Uh, That's myself. Z is for Zoe, that's Alzo, we sometimes call him Zoe, and Mo is for Maurice. And so the trio, the three of us came together to start Grits and Biscuits, presented by Easy Mo Breezy. I'd like to say that I kind of manage a lot of the logistics, kind of the the behind-the-scenes negotiations, and also play a part in marketing. Alzo is the MC. he's also responsible for a lot of the content, he, he's kind of the mouth of the brand. So anytime you see like a write-up or anything, that's coming from him. He also plays a part in the marketing. And then finally, Maurice is the DJ, and he also plays a part in the marketing as well as our merch. Right. Uh, what's happening? I'm Alzo Slade. And to sum up all of our roles, we usually just say, I know what to say, Maurice knows what to play, and Erica knows who to pay. <laughs> Amazing. So tell us the origin story of Grits and Biscuits, because I hear there's a certain Southern hip-hop mixtape that was partially responsible. (laughs) I go home for the holidays, and my friend who DJ, who DJed a lot in Houston, would always lace me with mix CDs with the latest 
know, jams that was rocking at the crib that we didn't get up here. Eric and I were were listening to one of these CDs and and then we're like, yo, it would be fly. We just had a party that played nothing but Southern hip hop because in New York, there are a whole bunch of folks from the South that either went to school in the South that may dig it. And this is a party that we'd want to go to. So we said, all right, let's figure it out. Let's see if we can put it together, what it do. And lo and behold, 10 years later, we're talking on the phone with y'all. From one HBCU alum to the other, where are y'all representing? Which which schools did y'all go to? And I'm just curious about how that HBCU culture really kind of grounded your ideas for this is what this needs to sound like. This is how it's supposed to go down. Because let's be real, how we party at HBCUs, nobody else really. <laughs> you either get it it's or you special. don't. <laughs> it's a special, it's a special, special place. It is, um, it is. So I'm a graduate of North Carolina a State University. Go Aggies. Alvo is a graduate of Prairie View A&M okay. University. And Maurice is a graduate of Florida A&M. But as far as the role it played in Grits, I mean, we when we came together, we really just wanted to throw a party that we would want to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, you didn't hear a lot of Southern music in New York City. And, you know, we just started r- riffing about what was, you know, what would that feel like if we wanted to represent the South through and through through this event? Mm-hmm. And immediately we thought about our college days. And we thought about times when, you know, there was a discount price for the first hour when you get to the party. Listen. And that's what the first couple of parties were like. There was there was no dress code. Okay. Everyone kind of comes and, you know, you wear what you want to wear because the idea is you're going to be comfortable and cute and you're going to have a good time. You're the music and the energy of the music is at a level where you just, you don't want to stand on the wall. It's not a place to kind of be seen. It's more a place to get loose and party. The DJs are partying just as hard as the people are on the floor. So it was just, you know, all of these things that were very reminiscent of our time when we were in college is kind of what was infused into the early days of Grits and Biscuits. The tagline for Grits and Biscuits is a Dirty South set. So I was curious to hear about how y'all first became aware of the term like Dirty South and what you understood to be the meaning? For me, it was kind of always around. It was almost like ubiquitous, like the word cool. Like, you know, it was something that already existed. This is Maurice, the Mo in Easy Mo Breezy. Um, But, you know, as I did my research, came to find out where it came from. Like, you know, when I was growing up, one of these influences was the Dungeon family with Goody Mob and Outcast and all of that. So come to find out that it came from that crew. Now, I know we've been asking you a lot of questions as to what we can expect out of Grits and Biscuits, and that's mainly because we understand that super producer Floyd has already partied with you guys, but he has not had the pleasure of inviting us out. He's just rude. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so as far as like painting a picture of the Grits and Biscuits party, are there any crucial details that Regina and I need to know? When you walk into the party, the first thing you're going to hopefully feel is just the energy. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you come early and people are still trickling in or whether you come when the party is on full tilt, you know, we want you to feel the bass in your chest, which is one of the reasons a lot of times we do the parties in live music venues. With, so we have a sound man there so we can make sure the sound is just right. So you feel it as soon as you come in the building. We want you to feel the Southern hospitality of it. As you enter the building, somebody will be standing at the door and they're going to hand you a church fan because yes. if you do the party right, you're going to need it, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so it's going to be, you walk in and you're just going to see people who have been to many a party and you're going to see some people who, you know, are first timers and everybody's kind of finding their way. And But by the time, you know, you've been there for a little while and you've gotten the groove of it, hopefully you're on the dance floor longer than you expected and the next day you're going to feel a little sore. And I think for some people, grits and biscuits, they've aged out of it. And as new people come in, they have the same feeling for it because it's just like homecoming you know my parents went to A&T or my father went to A&T my grandparents went to A&T but we all come to homecoming and we have the same experience we have our own type of fun because it, it's just something rooted in the DNA of the university and I think for Chris you know you may age out of it but if someone ages into it they also went to a school down south or spent their summers down south and so they, there's something that they recognize that has a nostalgic feel to it if you ever loved a party with a dirty south set in a vibe like myself then please make sure that you check out grits and biscuits when it comes to a city near you why do you think dirty south still is able to like connect folks together and not break us apart in the south what do you think that unifying thread is Ooh, interesting Interesting. i know i know i do good sometimes go ahead well i don't this is probably being way over simplistic but i feel like at least before dirty south there was at least a tendency by not all southern hip-hop artists but a lot of them to maybe take influence from the east coast and the west coast Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about the ghetto boys in particular because when you listen to the Ghetto Boys and their debut album, Making Trouble, mm-hmm. they sound more like Run DMC than a group out of Texas, let alone our first introduction to Southern hip hop. The name describes a background, it describes it well. There's so much trouble in our life, we got a story to tell. Just like the town, we took the crowd. And at the cops so sick, they tried to catch us. Nothing happened, cause you're much too slick. I'm too black, so black, break up. The threat on your life, I slice you up. Like Freddy Krueger, Mary Chuck, like and at night. Johnny C, the Prince of Rock. But I think, at least with Dirty South, I feel like it must have granted artists permission. They were granting themselves permission, basically, to mm-hmm. be like, listen, we don't have to take influence from the East Coast and West Coast. And maybe that's why these folks were able to come together. Because with this term that they use as a point of pride, they're like, okay, we're able to acknowledge our own roots and speak to our people mm-hmm. and, and just go from there and have that be perfectly fine. I'm wondering, too, sonically, when we think about Dirty South, what that entails. Because, you know, you brought up how, at one point, Ghetto Boys was think- was sounding a lot like a DMC. You know, I'm run DMC. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And I'm wondering if those sonic elements of hip-hop that were coming out of New York, they're jazz-tinged. They're jazz-influenced. You know what I'm saying? Sure. But in the South, the pull point is funk and gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's like literally from dirt so to speak and blues especially if you're thinking about like memphis you know what i'm saying so like if you think about somebody like an amiri baraka for example who talks about blues people and the blues is for those dirt folks so to speak and kiese layman writes about what this looks like in his essay how hip-hop stole my southern black boy he was in that era of hip-hop fans who lived in mississippi rural ass mississippi and the only access to hip-hop they had was from new york at the time so it was like okay we want to be we want to be hip-hop 
Absolutely. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you get to an organized noise, I feel like it's organized noise who made it who made it dirty. Mm. Because they're pulling from a funk aesthetic that sure. they're already associated with. Mm-hmm. They're pulling from a blues tradition. So it's like the multiple generations that you... It's, just, it's like a sonic archive almost. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, in ways that we do the call and response. It speaks to this tug and pull of like sacred and secular that Southern art has always dealt with. It's like, you know, I'm going to go to the juke joint on Saturday night, Sunday morning, I'm going to be in service. To the point where I remember when I was coming up, like I couldn't listen to hip hop on Sunday. Mm. Because I was being a heathen, apparently. Um <laughs> You know, heathens listen to hip hop on Sunday. <laughs> Put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, you know, um, I'm just, I'm just saying. Y- oh you know, God. if if we don't do dope on Sundays, we don't do hip hop on Sundays either. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm wondering if the sonic elements of it mm-hmm. contribute to what we understand the dirtiness of the sound, of the music, the literal dirtiness of the sound, which I think is amplified when you get to trap, especially a shouty red. Because he literally makes the track dirty. Like sure. the, the use of synthesizers and bass. I'm mean, like, it's not a clean, it's kind of hazy in some instances. Like, you know, especially if you listen to like Thug Motivation 101. Right. It's right, like GZ, a haziness yeah. to it. That is a sonic understanding that what you're listening to is not clean. It's not pristine. It's mm-hmm. messy. So I'm trying to tell you this story and include all the grit or the dirt, if you will, mm-hmm. that you might miss if I just spit this on like a clean break type of album. What the streets made me, a product of my environment. Took what the streets gave me, product of my environment. Now it's 28 inches on a brand new Hummer. Hummer. Tell me right now it's gonna be a cold summer. Blew the brains out the Chevy, call it suicide. It's a way of life that's how young niggas ride. Right. Drop or die, gave them hope. They waiting on the sequel. It's good to see the boy Jesus it, do it for the people. What's interesting about how the term Dirty South kind of took off was that the sound would change, though, for definitely, sure. Definitely. For sure. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how Timbaland and the Neptunes, like, coming out of Virginia... By the time Southern Virginia. Oh yeah, Virginia Beach. We got in trouble last time. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I thought by listening to like for example, the Neptunes producing Ludacris's Southern Hospitality, for example. Or when you're talking about Timbaland producing Aaliyah's Are You That Somebody. You have these artists like evoking the dirty South, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel as connected to those funk and blues origins because that was the whole appeal of Virginia Beach music at the time was that it sounded of the future. Like when you oh. sound, when you listen to Timbaland Productions, you're like, I don't know where in the world this is from, but this is amazing. And the Neptunes always sounded like Especially they were when from- you started working with Justin Timberlake. Yes. It really became super futuristy. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, like with the Neptunes, as they're working with not only these hip hop artists, but like major pop stars like a Britney Spears or whatever, like they are sounding completely cutting edge, but also like of the future. So what's interesting about the evolution of Dirty South is that it came to evoke like a certain cutting edge sound that was mm. like, if you weren't with the Dirty South, you just like weren't with it, like period. So we became the cool kids. Exactly. <laughs> 
No, I can get with that. I mean, so I mean, like you you kind of touched on this earlier, but one of the things I was thinking about is you said that the sound evolves, it, it transcends, right? Which is what any living, breathing art should do is, mm-hmm. is, is evolve. What about some of these younger artists that you was telling me as I was fussing on the porch? Um, <laughs> do any of the newer artists like immediately come to mind for you? They're like, yep, if I heard this, this is definitely like a dirty style, you know? Um, yeah, who? Because I'm, I'm still. You, you mean know. as far as like evoking like the specific? Yeah, like that the you're aesthetic. I mean, like it, it's, oh, it's shifting. Oh, okay, got you, got you. Well, okay. As far as like evoking like the very specific elements, I can't help but think of Big Crit because he has that song "Cool to Be Southern." He's evoking the dirty south, but you know, Big Crit has always been like a studious artist. Like he's the one who's always going to be looking back mm-hmm. to the roots of Southern hip hop. I think Future is actually a pretty surprising example <laughs> because, really? yeah, because as he is first coming up with Pluto, meet it. No, 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 no. That is too early. That is too early. Folks know. Oh, my God. Meathead. That's his That's his Pokemon evolving name. <laughs> <laughs> you saying like, instead of Pikachu, it was Meathead? You know, Meathead. I choose you. You know what I'm saying? And then he evolved into future. Okay, go ahead. Okay, we need somebody to illustrate that, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I more so meant with Pluto. Okay. You right. know, like he is coming out with a song called Long Live the Pimp. Mm-hmm. And it is, and by the pimp, he means Pimp C specifically. Of course, there but is no other that we recognize on bottom of the map. I was actually pretty surprised to see that there are more artists evoking Dirty South than mm-hmm. not. Like, I was thinking specifically about this New Orleans group by the name of Suicide Boys. Like, okay. they're from New Orleans, and they actually came on to work with Juicy J. If you listen to their stuff, I mean, it sounds dark, and it sounds, like, really, really gritty. Their uh, name is Suicide Boys. Right. And there's a song called Fuck Boy Bloodbath. women fit into the dirty south normally when you think about dirty south it's masculine you think about the dudes that are associated with dirty south you don't think about you know us so when we get a megan the stallion mm-hmm. that is a heavy burden to carry oh megan. you know what i mean and she's doing such a good job she needs to get an advocate award at the next like <laughs> image awards or some shit call him a trick and he don't get offended he 
know he giving his money to Megan. He know it's very expensive to date me. Tell him go put my name on that account because when I need money, I ain't trying to... Hip-hop advocate award, Megan Thee Stallion. Because she, she's all about that building and that networking. Like She's pulling in all of these other women artists. But it makes me think about where do women fit into the Dirty South? And I'm thinking in particular, does dirty necessarily mean sex? Because usually when you think about dirty and women in the South, you think sex. It's almost a negative connotation to be from the dirty South for women in ways that it doesn't affect men like that. We always talk about Megan Thee Stallion because we are, we're hotties over here at bottom of the map. But I also want to make sure that we also shout out maybe some of the other um, younger uh, women or, or femme artists that are also talking about kind of like advocacy and stuff like that. Anybody come to mind for you? Well, in particular, I know Mulatto, Atlanta native, the inaugural winner of Jermaine Dupri's The Rap Game reality show. You know, she claims the Dirty South as well. And I think when she's doing that, she is doing that in the same spirit as like a future as a Brockhampton in the sense that they are kind of claiming Dirty South as part of their larger rap heritage. You know, they may sound and be part of the digital South, but they also want to be part of this greater rap legacy. Somebody like Mia X too. Mm, talking you know about what I'm Mia saying? X. You know, Mia X coming out of New Orleans, you know, she was no limits first lady. You know what I'm saying? Um, and she invoked both like this uh black mama, hood black mama aesthetic, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's a reason that she said, I'm the I'm the mama on report card day. Like, I didn't have that problem <laughs> on report card day, but I had friends who were like, shit. Right. Because I got to talk to their mama or whatever. But she she was very blunt. She was very direct. She was dirty in her own lyrics. But her lyrics to me were she was speaking as her experiences as a woman. It wasn't necessarily that she was with No Limit. She was like, I'm a black woman who happens to be with No Limit, not I'm at No Limit. And No Limit tells me what to say, what to rap and everything like. So she established her dirtiness as a sense of independence mm, um, I love that. in ways that I think other women artists that we've talked about in the past and including somebody like uh you know a Megan the Stallion are are absorbing dirtiness as a sense of independence like mm. don't tell me what the fuck to do right don't talk to me like you know what the fuck's going on like let me just let me tell you right you like oh she a gold digger no i'm just in his bag too right <laughs> right right and people can hear the difference too they can mm. they can detect that bullshit from a mile away they can usually detect when somebody is like force feeding that to them as opposed to it coming from like a super organic place i love that If we're thinking about 
out Dirty South as a space for, you know, sources of independence, to proclaim independence for black women in the South, right? And Megan Thee Stallion has talked about, you know, cash shit. What about Hot Girl Summer? Like, I feel like folks have been trying to, like, dip their spoons in it, so to speak, and we'd be like, this is not for you. By folks, do you mean, like, major corporations? Shh. Yes, ma'am. Like, Forever 21? Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? I don't think a Hot Girl Summer, I think, I think, club attire when I think Forever 21. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying they need to pay for their ad copy as opposed to cribbing from somebody like that. Handle me? Who gonna handle me? Thinking he's a player, he's a member on the team. He put in all that work, he wanna be the MVP. I told him ain't no taming me. I love my niggas equally. Fucking nine to five niggas with that superstar beat. Fuck the superstar nigga, now I got him far late. I called a jet to get that nigga. I told him call don't send no text and don't you tell him you with me when they be asking where you at. I can't read your mind, gotta say that shit. Should I take your love? Should I take that dick? Got a whole lot of options cause you know. It invokes the Dirty South because it literally says hot girl summer. Do y'all know how hot it is, goddamn, down there? <laughs> we having 93 degrees and shit in October. <laughs> but I mean, like, especially, like, in Texas, where she from, you couldn't pay me to go to Texas in the summertime. Ain't right. no way. Ain't right. no way. But I mean, like, what do you think? Do you feel like that that branding has, has shifted these ideas about Dirty South yet? Or is it still playing catch up? So here's the reason why I think, like, hot girl summer in particular is relevant to this Dirty South conversation, right? In regards to Dirty South and exactly who the term belongs to, most people think about trademarking. And I think Megan Thee Stallion was a really good example of that because once she realized that these companies, like a Forever 21, was evoking like a hot girl summer, mm -hmm. her label acted really quick mm -hmm. and went started to go through the process of copyright. actually trademarking. Well, trademarking is different because I think with, with copyright, copyright usually refers to like an artistic work or whatever. So by recognizing Dirty South as a goody mob song, that is a mm. reference to a copyright versus a trademark. It's usually evoking like branding. It's literally about the branding aspect so like, of it. So an example of that would be somebody like a Pastor Troy who trademark we ready. Mm -hmm. Even if folks know it's a little archy, Pastor Troy's still going to get a check. Right, exactly. Gotcha. And gotcha. and usually it's for the explicit purpose of being able to like sell goods. So like with Megan Thee Stallion and when her label 300 Entertainment went about trademarking Hot Girl Summer, mm -hmm. you will notice in the listing it's usually for merch, like t-shirts, you know, accessories, like things like that. So all that is fine and good. And a trademark usually lasts for as long as it needs to last, mm -hmm. as long as there's shit to sell. Mm -hmm. And the thing is with Cool Breeze is that because Organized Noise left its Interscope deal early and that Cool Breeze went independent slowly thereafter, it kind of left Dirty South available and like put it on the table it was for like anybody. An open domain. It was an open domain essentially. Oh. Um, so that's why when you're looking at the trademarks for uh, for Dirty South, you're going to find everything from hot sauce companies to wine companies to um, a DJ from Serbia who calls himself Dirty South. Word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's why that might be another huge reason why Dirty South has just become ubiquitous in the first place. Whereas with Megan Thee Stallion in particular, when she saw how the term was taking off on social media and how mm -hmm. it was taking off with all these particular companies, especially when social media is like accelerating the rate at which like, you know, a, a catchphrase may take off. You better believe that with the resources that she had in hand, like mm -hmm. with her management deal and her label, that she had to do everything she had to do. She 
you know, put everything down and was like, listen, she had to go about this. And not everybody has the time to go about that, too. Or the team. Or the team, because it is a months-long application process. It requires a fee, and it is a process, let's say. You know, in the way that a lot of folks thought that Southern hip-hop wasn't going to last, I'm wondering if it was one of those things they thought that Dirty South was just a fad. You know what I'm saying? Like, if uh it was just a fad. So, like, oh, you know, Dirty South, that was just them in, like, the 90s and the early 2000s, right? Where now, because... You know, a hot girl summer is is trademark. We'll be like fifty and sixty. I'll be mm-hmm. like sixty five. Like I'm about to do my hot girl summer with these creaky ass knees and making sure I ain't gonna get a check. You know what I'm uh-huh. saying? So I, I, it makes me think about like the time period, like you said, but also sure. the resources to do it. Like it's amazing how genius and cultural innovation, like how how mindful you have to be to protect your shit like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and and i'm wondering if that's what is is getting at is that um it your shit wasn't protected Mm -hmm. so how does that impact what we understand it you know to be i'm wondering if that's part of that um that conversation i think it's absolutely part of it and i think the other part of it as well was that in regards to cool breeze and his place within like the dungeon family we now see Dirty South as like a Goody Mob song. Mm-hmm. They have a greatest hits compilation by the name of Dirty South Classics. I think what ended up happening was that Dirty South kind of became like a contribution for the entire family to use. Uh. But somewhere like along the way, Cool Breeze's ownership of the turn kind of just like fell by the it wayside. Away. And I know that's something that he would want to strongly emphasize. Like that is something that I came up with. That is my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think given the time and the place where Southern hip hop was, mm-hmm. which was in its place where the movement was just so hungry to like, you know, catch on. I felt like that became kind of became like the sacrifice. It was yeah. Like, I was about to say, so it seemed mm-hmm. like it was he was the sacrificial lamb, so to exactly, speak. exactly. So I think that's an important thing to mention. The good thing about all this is that, and I just like Megan the Stallion can learn from somebody like Cool Breeze's example. We're at a place where Southern hip hop is ubiquitous, is the pop music du jour, but especially now, I feel like artists coming up these days in the advent of social media are so savvy that they're not going to be taking any chances and they're going to make sure that they have their own personal stamp. Because you have to. You have to brand your. I mean, like, the agency to brand yourself in social media is more imminent than it maybe it was back when, you know, we still had record stores and radios. You know what I'm saying? Like, it took time for folks to steal your shit mm-hmm. in ways that... Now, all I have to do is go to the domain, go online, go to Google, and be like, oh, it's not copyrighted? I'm going to steal it. Mm-hmm. And now that the Dirty South has branded itself, mm-hmm. thanks to Cool Breeze, right. that is all the more leverage once people fill out that trademark application. It's like you can't argue with the influence at this point. I can certainly embrace how the term Dirty South has become emblematic of a larger hip-hop movement, right? Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. definitely appreciate how the youth still continue to embrace that term for themselves. But, you know, very much in the same way that hip-hop in general pays homage by sampling, I think if we're going to reference and embrace the Dirty South as a lingo, Mm -hmm. it would be remiss of us not to recognize Cool Breeze as the Dirty South originator. All facts. And it would be remiss of us to not acknowledge what made the South dirty in the first place. Miss Chris, we are at the point of the show. This is new for us, but I'm really excited about this. This is the goodie bag segment. We started off with one episode and folks got in their feelings when we didn't talk about their questions, their comments, their concerns, their snide remarks. So now we have instituted (laughs) 
the goodie bag segment when we did the event at the Trap Music Museum, which was dope. Uh, Super producer Floyd and Major Key actually got some comments for folks that they wanted us to speak on. So let's check it out. All right, let's take a listen to what Kelly had to say. My name is Kelly Bazin, and I'm from Atlantic City, New Jersey. And the first song that I think about when I think of trap music would be between Pocket Full of Stones, UGK, and Bring Em Out, T.I. And I think those are just the epitome of trap music. It captures the attitude, the spirit. It captures the essence of just the South, what was going on, and the reality of people's lives, how they were living, what they were doing, what they were going through, and the survival that they had to have, the mechanisms of survival in the South. And so I think it just sets a precedence. Oh, I was with it with Pocket Full of Stones. Bring them out, not so much. I just think Bring Them Out was T.I.'s introduction to a mainstream audience, like that whole Urban Legend album, because it had that Jay-Z sample. Is that not part of trap music history? No, it's, it is. No, no, no. I'm saying it is part of trap music, but I just feel like that's one of those earlier crossover moments where if you listen to UGK's Pocket Full of Stones that comes out in 92. I got a pocket full of stones. Got a pocket full of stones. Got a pocket full of stones. It has like that drug narrative. It doesn't necessarily have that signature trap sound, but because so many trap rappers reference it, yeah, it's, it's proto-trap. You know what I'm saying? It's like trap before we recognize that this was a thing. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I think with those two songs, she is talking about two particular eras of trap music. Yeah. Proto-trap, as you say, but also a moment where T.I. is really a mainstream figure and bringing trap music to the forefront along with him. In like, ways that he couldn't get with trap music, the actual, like the traction that he gets with Urban Legend isn't the same kind of traction that he gets with trap music. Yeah. Or even I'm Serious, which is more regional. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Bring Him Out is really, I mean, one of the first songs that I think of when I think of T.I. as really like a mainstream Pop music fixture. Just because of how loud and boisterous that song is, like I think she's absolutely right. Like that song really convokes like this particular feeling. But I think for the most part, it's like. His star was rising. And recognized. Like, the star was mm-hmm. rising and it was recognized. I mean, like, if I was to think about T.I. and the song that immediately thinks about Trap, I'm thinking about something like 24s. Yeah. Or Rubber Band Man. You rubber Band Man. Rubber Band Man. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, like, I'm not, I don't disagree with her. I yeah. just feel like that was one of the first major introductions to this idea of Trap music. Yeah. To a broader audience that probably wasn't put on with a trap music or even an I'm serious. I do appreciate her at least bringing up Bring It Out because I think that is a great example of how T.I. was just really, really good at writing hooks Yeah. at that particular time because I think if you don't have those hooks that can really draw a crowd, like literally and figuratively, you probably don't get trap music as like a mainstream pop culture fixture. I think it was Pharrell who originally called T.I. the Jay-Z of the South, and I guess literally with Made Bring him. It Out, he's like embracing that title. Definitely. Grand Hustle, Grand Hustle partner. partner. 
All right, that's all we got for now. But, you know, we really we really want to hear it from you. We want to chop it up with you. So, Chris, how do they get in touch with us? If y'all want to be featured on a future Goody Bag segment, if you want to hit us up with a question, a comment, a snide remark, if you will, hit us up on the hashtag on social media. That is AskBOTM. Miss Chris, what we got on deck for next time? So, next episode, we are going to be revisiting one of my favorite moments in award show history. Oh, what? 3-6 Mafia winning the best original song Oscar for It's, it's hard, hard Out Here, here for, for a Pimp. <laughs> Is that enough of a teaser? Is that tantalizing? Was that great? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know he got mad. You got to put the stank on. Pimp. Pimp. <laughs> you know it's hard. We're trying to make Taraji proud. Oh, man. Taraji, we love you. For listening to Bottom of the Map, brought to you by WABE and PRX. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It will help more people find this show. Follow Bottom of the Map on your social media platforms at BOTM Pod. Again, that's BOTM Pod. Bottom of the Map is hosted by Christina Lee and Dr. Regina N. Bradley. Produced by Floyd Hall, that's me. Edited and mixed by Stephen Major Key. Our executive producers are Jan Berry and John Haas. Our theme music is produced by Smith and Cash. Special thanks to Mike Johns and Lois OG Reitzes. This program was made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Follow Subscribe, connect, holla. It's as they say in international players anthem, Mike, I choose you.